look at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 22. Again, to say that my cup is full is to be a gross understatement. Uh, the Shamels allowed us to borrow a three-DVD set of movies, and we finally got around. I mean, we've had them for two months at least, if not longer. And uh, we got around to watching Woodlawn last night. If you've not watched that movie, you, you need to, to watch that movie. It is a movie about, uh, essentially, it's the Jesus Revolution. Uh, it was before the Jesus Revolution movie, but it's in that same frame, meaning uh, that 1968 to 1975 era, and a young man that was striving to be the chaplain of the football team had been a part of a 1969 Dallas-Texas uh, Billy Graham uh, crusade where there were uh, 100,000 people in this stadium, and uh, Billy Graham had preached all week. Many, many, many souls had been saved, and Billy Graham lit a candle and then they lit throughout, and literally the fire department was getting calls because they saw such a glow come out of that coliseum, that stadium. But it's a very inspirational movie of what God can do when individuals just simply obey. Yes, Lord, whatever you want them to do. And it was during that time of racial, and you know we're still in that time, uh, of racial conflict, and God used his grace, his mercy, and his gospel to bring Birmingham, Alabama out of a lot of that racial unrest. It's a great movie. Last week, something unprecedented happened here in second service. Excuse me. <clears throat> so unprecedented that I gave a blast call uh, to you folks to watch first service's message and to our first service folks to watch the second service message. I've been jokingly giving Brad a hard time without Brad knowing it, so just keep this between you and me. Thank you. Uh, I called him on Saturday night. I said, Brad, I mean, you know, it's teen conference week. You've been to teen conference all three days, and you're going to let your kids and your sponsors share, and you're going to share. You got something working on you? If you do, I'll let you have the whole service. Oh, no, Brother Ben, I'm fine. I'm good. You'll have plenty of time. Y'all were here, right? He left me with five minutes. I can't do an introduction in five minutes. <laughs> Plenty of time, David says, right, right. So, yeah, he shucked the corn down to the cob. He did. And it was a message we needed to hear. And then I did something that I've never done before. I asked you folks if the Holy Spirit was leading you to stand up. Because his challenge was to, what, what are you risking? What are you risking? And many of you stood up saying you're going to start Sunday school, saying you're going to get deeper involved in CR. You know, we went through all of it, all of our ministries, essentially, Awana, Easter Walk, Hibbilly Days, and the such. And you, you know what I love about God? If I didn't name a ministry, God is able to name that ministry to your heart that he wants you to get involved in. That's how good God is. And so... Uh, I've been really honestly basking in the joy of what God did last Sunday all week. And so this Sunday, you know, we're in the first Sunday of 
the new year, 2024, I almost always try to do something in the area of, okay, what should you be doing for 2024? You know, self-evaluation and things of that nature. And so we're going to continue that thought. Very, very soon, we're going to be bringing to you the results of the uh, BAMO assessment. And there are some amazing things that are coming out of that. First of all, it was the most participated uh, evaluation we've ever done. Well over 100 responses, which is one of the reasons it's taking me a while to tabulate because I want to do that myself and the such. And, and it's just some cool things that are coming out of that evaluation. Dawn and I had the unpleasant uh, opportunity, if you will, of overseeing some of the last transactions of a church. And, and that's a part of being the missions director. They had a tote board in that church. And I can't go into great detail because I haven't told my bosses, meaning the Special Missions Committee, the Advisory Committee, they need to hear some of these things first. But, but you can hear this and it won't hurt anything. When Dawn looked at that tote board and it said one, the last service that church had, one person was there. You know who that one person was? Dale Fish, the pastor. They had an offering of $362. He gave sacrificially to a church that's averaging one. His wife had went on to heaven or it would have been two. That's the faithfulness that that pastor showed to that church. But church, the reality is something went wrong for the church to get down to that point. And we're not here to cast any blame. Watch this. We're here to say, how can we make sure that doesn't happen here? That, that's what we're here for. And so this is a study that got started way back when, when I came. Uh, actually, Brother Larry came. I was a youth pastor here. Brother Larry came, and he brought this study. It's called Experiencing God. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage that he used for this study, and we're going to preach through the passage. I'm going to let you stay seated because I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. You may not know anything about Moses or the children of Israel, and I hope and pray by the time I'm done with this passage, you will know what you need to know because watch this church. One of the things that churches do uh, to hurt themselves is they assume that everybody's on the same page. Well, we, got, we can't do that. We've got to fill in the blanks when we can. Now, there's a whole lot more blanks we simply don't have time to fill in today. So if you want to know more about this story, you let me know and we'll do our best to bring that to bear. Before I dive in, it was Henry Blackaby's experience in Canada as the missions director of those small Southern Baptist churches in one of those provinces that they saw a church planting movement because they asked themselves the question, what can God not do? There's very few things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. God cannot lie. That, that's about it, you know, type thing. With that said, those small churches started believing God they started experiencing God. They started listening to God. They started obeying God. And watch this. One of the most miraculous things is a church of 17 started more than one church in that area. So remember, there's no 
restraint of the Lord to save by many or by few. The Lord doesn't need big churches to do his work. He needs obedient churches, period. End of story. So let's dive in here. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, Midian, sorry, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, before we go any deeper into the burning bush experience, we need to catch up. Moses is simply a child of God slash he's an Israeli. He was born to an Israeli family. And the first 40 years of his life, he knew that he was supposed to be a deliverer. And God raised him in Pharaoh's house so he would have the advantage of that education. But the first six to eight years of his life, because he, was, he did not go to the Egyptian Pharaoh's house until he was weaned. That means that he no longer needed his mother's milk. They did not wean their children at six months, eight months of age. They stayed much longer. And watch this. While they were there, his mom taught him all about God. And so he went to Pharaoh's court knowing what it was to be in God's court. And he knew that he was going to be a deliverer of Israel someday. Now we need to talk about why are the Israelis there. In just a moment, we will get to that. So... And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, Moses looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Wouldn't you love to see that? Church, I'm convinced that every one of us are to be that bush in the sphere of our influence. We are to be on fire for God, but not consumed, not overwhelmed, not burnt out, not rusting out. They should be able to look at us and see us on fire for God, and we're the better for it. And that's what this bush was. This bush was on fire, and it was as green as it could be on the inside type thing. There was the orange fire, but there was the bush not being burnt, not being fuel to the fire. The fire had its own fuel. That's good. That'll preach. All right, here we go. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called. Now listen, you have a responsibility. If you want to know God, if you want to learn about God, you have a responsibility to pursue God. Once you do, you'll understand he's been pursuing you the whole time. And so God is just waiting. He's waiting. And I said this in first service. I believe this with all my heart. You're standing like this, and you have the peripheral vision of your eye. You see something over there that's God, and you want to inquire. All you have to do is this. <laughs> I mean, that's it. As soon as God sees, okay, okay, he's willing, she's willing. They're desiring of a relationship. He'll call. 
He'll absolutely call. And then again, you'll discover he's been calling the whole time. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now, before I leave this part, I, I gave a little marital counseling in first service, so I'm going to do it here too. Husbands, pursue your wives. Wives, pursue your husbands. Parents, pursue your children. All three of those entities desperately need your love. And they don't know it. I told them when I got married I loved them. That should be enough. No, it's not enough. Yo, codger, <laughs> it's not enough. You need to pursue her. And, and ladies, pursue him. Parents, pursue your children. You need to be reaching out to them on a daily basis. I love you. I, I want you to know that I love you. Do you need my help on any level? So on and so forth. So, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And he said, that means God said, draw not nigh hither. Now, that seems counterintuitive to what we just talked about. God says, wait, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. This generation, our world has misunderstood love. Love is unconditional from God's standpoint, and we should unconditionally love one another. But watch this. If the person that is Wanting to be love is pushing the unconditionalism that's out of whack. The person pursuing shows unconditional love. The person that's being pursued needs to understand for their sake, it's best to pursue a higher standard. Folks, God did not need what Moses had. Moses was in desperate need with what God had. And Moses needed to know, you've got to get some things straight and right with me before we can move forward in our relationship. Watch this. True love tells you where the warts and the bruises are. True love tells you things that will destroy you if you don't change them. True love tells you where you are sinning. And God said, you're on holy ground. You need to remove that thing which separates you from me, your, your shoes. And, that, and those shoes in that perspective represented sin. Church, we're not ever going to get further in our relationship with God until we come clean before God. You're right. I'm wrong, God. Show me. And church, I'm telling you, we'll have revival as a church when we get those things removed between us and God. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. Why would he do that? Remember, those, we don't know exactly how long. From three to four years to, to probably no later than six to eight years, Moses was trained about who Abraham was. He was trained about who Isaac was. He was trained about who Jacob was. Well, who were these people? Abraham was the very first father of of Israel. He was in the Ur of Chaldees. What does that mean? It means that he lived in the most civilized uh, community of human beings at that time. Did you know, this, this is thousands of years ago, did you know that they were the first civilization that I'm aware of that had indoor plumbing? Yeah. That wasn't like yours and mine. Couldn't hit a button and go, 
wasn't like that, but they had indoor plumbing. They had a way to remove the waste from their dwelling place. Pretty smart people. And so Abraham was in the you know, thriving city of the Ur of Chaldees. And God says, Abraham, come out from among them. Now, Abraham was around 80 years old at that time, as best as my memory will serve me. Eight, watch this. <laughs> you know how we, Gavin and I joked the other day, well, you know, 60 is the new 40. Yeah. That's what 60-year-olds tell themselves so they don't feel like they're about to go in the grave. You know? but, but here's the point. In that day, 80 years old was not our 80. You know, it wasn't one of these. You know? I'm not trying. If you're 80 years old, I love you. Okay, I love you. Uh, but watch this. Abraham was called to leave at 80 years old. And so here Abraham with all of his stuff is leaving the Ur of Chaldees, and he's sauntering along as an 80-year-old would do, and somebody says, hey, Abraham, yeah? Where are you going? I don't know. He's just going with his camel and all of his stuff. And then somebody else says, well, why are you leaving? I don't know. Well, what are you going... I don't know. All I know, God has called me to leave, and I'm leaving. Church, that's an obedience beyond my obedience at this point. I'm just telling you. Hopefully and prayerfully, I will get there. But the reality is, Abraham did. And God, when God mentioned Abraham's name to Moses, Moses was like, this is, this is, this is him. This is God. And then he says, I'm the God of Isaac, Abraham's son. Because you see, after Abraham died, God came to Isaac and said, I'm your father's God. And everything I promised to Abraham, which was a lot, I'm promising to you. And then when Isaac died and Jacob came along, he said to Jacob, I am Abraham and Isaac's God. And I'm promising you everything I promised them. Why is that important? Well, you see, when Jacob came along, 12 children came along. These became the 12 tribes of Israel. And before you know it, Israel is growing. And when the famine came, God had strategically placed Joseph, one of Jacob's children, the supplanter, Israel's children, in the second seat of power in Egypt. And he saved them from seven years of famine, the whole world experienced famine. And if you didn't come to Egypt, you weren't going to make it. So the children of Israel moved by the Pharaoh's and Joseph's invitation to Egypt. Well, all things were great until they kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And about a couple hundred years in, the Pharaoh that didn't remember the Pharaoh of Jacob's day, the Pharaoh of Joseph's day, said, whoa, 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 look at all these people. They're producing like crazy, they're outnumbering us. We've got to make them slaves. So they did. And now, after 400 years, God is telling Moses these words. I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large land, into a land flowing with milk and honey, <clears throat> excuse me, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people from the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, now, 
before we go any further. Church, everything that's important, everything that need to be known, needs to be known has already been said. Everything Moses is fixing to say is what you and I would say with insecurities and insignificancies. Now, we have those same insecurities and insignificancies, so it's good that God recorded them. But I'm telling you, you're not fixing to be blessed by what Moses says. You're going to be blessed by what God says. Who am I, Moses says, that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, this is God, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. In other words, I'm the eternal one. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children. God said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial, memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He said that now three times, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt under the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perserites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and they shall hearken to thy voice. Now, we're almost done with this portion. <clears throat> I've said it many, many times. The reading of God's word is more important than what I'm going to add to it or say about it. This is God's living word. Can you imagine? Stranger shows up. It's been 40 years. His mom knows him. His sister knows him. His brother knows him. That's probably about it. This stranger shows up and says, uh, can you point me to the leaders of the land? Sure. And so it takes a little while, but they assemble the elders of Israel. Those men are standing around Moses. All they've known is slavery. Church, all they've known is slavery. They've been taught about God. They've been taught about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you asked them, have you seen God move? They'd probably say, not in my lifetime. I've heard stories about Joseph. I've heard stories about Israel. But not in my lifetime. All I know is slavery. And Moses look at, looks at those old men and he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to tell you he has seen your affliction. And about this time, tears start rolling down their eyes. I have seen how your children have been treated. I have seen how your grandchildren have been treated. I have seen what the taskmasters have done to you. And I'm telling you, I've been sent by him to deliver you. Those men were in. 
because they could most likely probably take you to their house and show you the worn out knee spots where they've been begging God for the better part of their life to send a deliverer. And here he now he's standing in front of an 80-year-old man that 40 years ago tried to deliver Israel with his hands and didn't make it. But now he's here with the staff of God. Please, church, listen to me. You live in a sphere of influence of people that all they have known is slavery to sin. That's all they've known. Their taskmaster, the devil, is worse than any Egyptian has ever thought to be. And the taskmaster has been hitting and beating the backs of your people, your sphere of influence, all their life, telling them you're no good, you're only deserving of hell, or go get everything you can get and and promising everything and delivering nothing, and they are worn out. And you are the Moses. You are the deliverer. I'm telling you that the God of America I'm telling you that the God of Israel is here to deliver every man, woman, boy, and girl through the cross of Christ. Follow me. And church, if you've lived Christ before them, it's very possible that many of them, it may take some time, but many of them will follow. Now let us go. And we beseech thee, this is when he's talking to Pharaoh, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure, God says to Moses, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Can you imagine showing up to your boss and your boss says, hey, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go down to this other guy. Uh, You know, he's a real important guy. He's got a lot of power and stuff. And I want you to ask him to do something. But please hear me. He ain't going to do it. He's not going to do it. But I need you to ask him to do it. And then God says, because I'm going to deliver them with my mighty hand. I need the opportunity to show my strength against Egypt. And I will give this people favor in the sight of Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye shall go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters. And ye shall spoil the Egyptians. In other words, you're going to leave Egypt not with your freedom only, but with their wealth. That's something. That's something. And all Israel has to do to get this is to obey. Church, when you look at Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, the church at Jerusalem grew exponentially by thousands in months and years time for one reason obedience the church obeyed the commission they spread the gospel of Christ and they taught whatsoever the Lord hath commanded them and the church grew like wildfire it still works in 2024 so how can you and I experience God. These are the seven realities of experiencing God. Number one, God is at work around you. God is at work around you. Well, I just wish God would do something. And God's standing on his throne saying, man, I wish my people would open their eyes. I'm working all over the place. 
Every one of you in your sphere of influence, God is working to reach them for Christ. He needs you and I to cooperate with him. Church, God is at work. We've seen that here at Bethel in the last 14 to 15 months. God is at work. He brings people we've never met type thing to this church. They go through the baptismal waters. Now it's our responsibility to make sure that they get discipled and they will reproduce. And that's called multiplication. God is at work. When you have somebody come to you and say, I just don't know where this world's going. God is at work. Don't sit there and say, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I remember Doug. Doug Henson came to me the other day and says, well, just made a trip down. to," And he named some garden place, you know. I don't know what, Menards or something like that. You know, Menards does everything. Save big money at Menards. Now watch this. He said, you know I went, why I went to that garden store, Ben? I said, no. I said, he said, to get my hand basket. Yeah. Yeah, because this world's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> you ever heard that expression? Yeah, that's where this world is going. And we need to open our eyes and see that God is working. Because watch this, God wants very few, if none, to go there. And I love what Tom says, God's not going to send anybody to hell, but he will honor their request. Point number two, God pursues a continuing relationship with you that is real and personal. Every person sitting under the sound of my voice and the voices that is going to be going out through uh, the World Wide Web, BethelLondale.com, please hear me, God cares deeply about you. It's been sung in a song and it's now become cliche, but it's still true. You were on his mind when he was on the cross. He cares deeply. God pursues a continual relationship with you that is real and personal. Church, so many people, for whatever reason, mainly it's because the devil has them blinded and the devil has them covered up, and so it's not getting through. But church, God is trying to reach every person on this planet that's real and personal. I'm sorry I'm repeating myself, but he cares deeply. I have had some of the most unbelievable, inspiring moments on a deer stand because God cares. I have been driving seemingly to nowhere. I mean, just doing my thing, natural, normal routine, and through that radio, God reaches out and speaks to me. He's doing the same for you, but are we listening? Point number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. As you pursue God and realize that God's pursuing you, he's going to start telling you about all the things that he's doing in your sphere of influence and where he wants you to join him. He, he's got some work for you to do, and he wants you to join him. He's going to invite you. Point number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Please hear me on this. You're not going to know whether God's pursuing you. You're not going to know that God is inviting you if you're not listening. And the ways to listen are through his word, through prayer, through the church, and through circumstances. Now, I went a little bit on a rant in first service, so I'm going to try to control it a little bit here. <laughs> Watch this. 
I think circumstances should be number four instead of number three. I kind of had a breakthrough this morning while I was preaching. I don't think Henry Blackaby wants us to be dependent upon circumstances for God to direct us. I believe that's the worst way to be led of the Lord because you know what that leads to? When you're not reading His Word, you're not praying, you're not listening while you're at church, much less maybe coming to church. Watch this. There's only one thing left for God to do to get your attention. And so I told this joke, and once again, Doug Henson corrected my joke. I'm not going to tell you Doug's because it will offend every woman in here. So I'm going to tell you that's how Doug rolls. Martha even said, I think I need to leave now while he was telling the story. Now, but I'm, I'm messing with you and teasing you. I love Doug with all my heart. Doug is a funny, funny guy. But this is how I tell the story. You, you ask Doug how he tells the story later. There's a person that purchased a mule from a mule farmer, and he gets home with the mule, and the farmer two days later realizes he didn't tell him the secret. And so he calls him up and says, hey, I forgot to tell you how to work with that mule. And the guy says, man, I, I, this mule won't do anything I'm asking it to do. He worked great with you, but he won't do any. Well, that's why I'm calling you. If he's ignoring you, you got to hit him in the head with a two-by-four to, to get his attention. Oh. <laughs> now, watch this, church, so you can only imagine what Doug's version was, okay? All right. Now, church, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be so closed off to God's voice that he has to, what would the word be, uh, figuratively hit you or I in the head with a, Two by four. Now, I can tell you, I'm stubborn that way. So, I, you know, me and God kind of have that understanding. Lord, if you need to hit me in the head with two by four, so be it. And I can't tell you how many times. And our standard, if you are around me when I get hit in the head, this is the run. You don't want to be around me when I get hit. Run. Okay? Number one, so I can say what I need to say. No, I'm kidding. But the point is, uh, I, I wish I had time to tell stories because I have so many stories along these lines. You need to hear from God by seeking his face in his word. You need to hear from God by being on your knees and seeking his face in prayer. You need to hear from God by hearing his spokesperson, Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, CR leaders, whatever the case may be. That's how God wants to speak. Church, we can't truly say that we're pursuing a relationship with God if we're not reading his word, listening in prayer, and coming and listening to his messages through a church somewhere. We can't honestly say that. But when you and I do do those things, guess what? God will speak to you. Number five, God's invitation to join him will lead to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. <clears throat> many, many years ago, sitting on the mourner's pew in Lynchview Baptist Church, it became very apparent. I brought my Bible. I brought several other books. I brought a friend of mine, and we sought God's face. Is this your will for me to go to Longdale, Missouri, and be the youth and music pastor? The Holy Spirit moved in that two- to three-hour time, and I, I got up from that knowing that I was moving to Longdale. But watch this. That means nothing if I don't pack my stuff, pack my car, and leave out. On January the 13th, 1988, the worst recorded ice storm in Arkansas's history up to that point. They've had worse since. 
Why would I do that? Because God's invitation to me required faith and action. It's going to require that of you too. When God makes it obvious, this is what I want you to do, it's going to require faith and action. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You're going to have to adjust. Church, in my humble opinion, this service right here is going to require major adjustments, perhaps for some of you, carving out a time to seek God in his face. Carving out a time to just pray. Carving out a time to be faithful to the Lord's house. Carving out a time to try to understand. Now, oh, I never did get to the type of circumstances that I think God will use. Open doors. God will open a door. And you're like, oh, oh, that's a circumstance. I, I didn't know I had that opportunity. And you walk through it for God's glory. Number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. One of the most exciting things to see, and I've had this conversation with a lots of you, if not every one of you type thing, where God has done something in your life where you felt him leading you, and as a result, you obeying him, boom, it worked. It worked. All, if not most of you, have made steps in the last year plus where God has called you to do, even it's just to come faithfully to church. Maybe it's been to give faithfully to church. Maybe it's been to serve in a small area, but God has shown himself to you as a result of that. That's what I'm talking about. And we've got to know how to get in touch with God so that we can know what the next step is. This sign here continues to challenge me, move me, protect me, help me. People love people that love people. We are in a very difficult time in 2024, but it ain't nothing that God can't handle. I'm telling you, church, let's don't back up from that. Let's don't hold our hat in hand in this area. Let's boldly spread that chest and tell them, God's got this. God's got this. And if he has to, you know, change me so that I can do whatever I need, so be it. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this work. Let's all stand, musicians, will you come? Maybe you're here today and you've never, ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Church, that's the first step. You come forward, I'll send you with someone gender appropriate. They'll share the gospel with you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you've not submitted to baptism. Maybe there's an unclean way. Uh, so speaking of that, I think we are going to do that today. Uh, after the first verse, uh, we will open the second verse up to church discipline. We haven't done that in probably a year uh, plus. What is that? If you have done something publicly that you believe that if it... I'm sorry, you've done something privately that if it were to become public, that it would bring shame upon the name of the church that you attend faithfully, you're a member here, because this is who we're talking to, then you come forward in that second part of the invitation. I'll let you know when we've started that. You coming forward, you're apologizing. It's none of our business what happened. Amen, church? It's none of our business what happened. But watch this. If somebody comes to you weeks from now, months from now, and you've seen, I encourage you to look and see who's coming. You'll be shocked and surprised. I'm going to kneel my knee because I'm 
you know, I might have got hit in the head and said some curse words, okay? Uh, but you follow what I'm saying. I know Mike's just shocked at that. But uh, <laughs> it's important that we be able to say to those people, yeah, so-and-so is capable of that. But you know what they also did? They came during church discipline verse, and they asked God and the church to forgive them. So it's important for us to be able to say that. Church, we've got to be clean. If we're not a holy church, the Lord cannot bless us. So we have to have stuff right between God. If all of this is confusing, you set up an appointment with me. I'll share it deeper. Let's sing. First verse for souls to be saved. Anyone to come forward that you want to. Will you come?